Welcome to People's Church Podcast. We're going to be talking about energy today, and we're in a series that we simply entail how to reboot the things that matter to you. Last week, we talked about perfectionism. Uh, largely, this is the thing that's killing most of your initiative and taking away a lot of your goal setting and your follow through, simply because perfectionism is something that's not attainable, and it's not like the word excellence. We hold excellence as a word around here, a high value. Whatever you do, do it with the best of your abilities. That's a scripture, actually. Whatever you're going to do, do it for the Lord, do it with the best you got. And that's good to do that. But perfection is something that just gets beyond who you are in both capabilities and the power that you would have in your life, and it becomes an unachievable goal. And when you live with perfectionism, you're constantly going to find yourself having a very drained tank. So we're going to pick it up this week, talking about another fundamental about rebooting things that matter to you. Um, A lot of people have the right intentions about what they want to do with the good things of their life, their, their job, their profession, uh, the gifts, the talents that they've been given, the family that they enjoy, all of those kinds of things they have great intentions with. And they often get started on that journey. You know that and I know that. Uh, we've done this more than we care to probably inventory in our lives. And we get a little ways down the road and all of a sudden we find that the motivation for that has just drained into the negative category. Now, that is a problem, and that can happen, perfectionism, and then what we talk about today, very empty emotional tank. How do you reboot an empty tank? Well, it's a pretty interesting process. First off, we want to do a little diagnosis with you, but I have to tell you one little story just to illustrate something here. Um, This is some years ago. Uh, My daughter, I got her her first horse, And uh, so it was, I wanted the safest horse on the planet. You know what I mean? Like, just get me the safest horse on the planet, I told somebody that knows horses. So they did. And they introduced us to JJ, who was about 21 or 22 years old, which means JJ doesn't have long on this planet. But I know that if JJ doesn't have long on this planet, then whatever he's carrying is safer. And so he had a big sway back. You know what I mean? You didn't almost need a saddle on this horse. It was like just reclined. He's out one day with me. So I took him for a ride one day and I'm out back and I'm probably about four kilometers from our place. And I'm just getting my thoughts together because that Wednesday and I had a teach session. And I, you know, JJ seems to me the safest horse in the world. And so there I am, I'm on a hillside, I'm overlooking some very nice country in the back country and I'm uh, reflecting on the day and I had this crazy thought and I followed through on it oh don't bother tying them up just let them graze they do it in the westerns so you know what JJ did JJ decided that he was leaving the scene and he left the scene have you ever done that you've never done that I know I'm the only one that's done that he left the scene so here I am trying to catch him, and I can't catch a 22-year-old horse. And I was in much better shape then. So it took me a long time. I had to walk all the way back. I walk in the door. Linda's got supper to go. I got about 40 minutes to get over to the church and ready for the teach. 
I'm sweating like a horse, a 22-year-old horse. And I'm just, the sweat's pouring down, and I've got a, a cursing mindset. Do you know, what that, you know what I mean by that? It doesn't hit your tongue, but it sure does. We'll go through here. So I got this cursing mindset going on, and I got to get ready. Makes for a difficult night. God intervenes. God does a good thing. But another story, same horse. I'm riding another one of our horses, and my daughter is on JJ. We decide to take a rather aggressive route down a hill and through the bush. And as we're going down the hill and through the bush, all of a sudden, she loses her stirrups. And so she ends up coming over top of the horse. And here's my daughter with a horse standing on an incline. She's hanging on to its neck like this. And she's hanging literally in front of the horse on there. And I'm thinking, this ain't good. So I get off of my horse. I'm moving very, not quickly because I don't want to startle JJ. And JJ's just standing. I'm just saying, whoa, boy, just, just stay, stay, stay. I get over to him. And it's like that horse knew exactly what to do. And he did the right thing. He stood there. He wouldn't move. And I got to her and was able to relieve the situation. Now, that's interesting. Same horse, two different stories. In one story, it's just, Bang, he's gone. Goes and does what he wants. He's just deciding he's going to take his own trip, and he does. But when he knows that this person is in peril and they had an attachment already, he was hanging on so that she'd be safe. You know, there's a lot of times when, in life when our security is not so great. And you want to have people around you that you can really hang on to and that they will hang on to you and that they won't startle, that they're not going to drive you over the edge. You want to have a God that understands your situation and won't move as you hang on and as he hangs on to you. It's going to feel like it's always the first story sometimes that everybody's abandoning you on some field in the back 40. It can feel like that in your relationships. It can feel like that in your economics. It can feel like that in the way that your life is progressing according to the dreams and the goals that you have. But the fact remains is that God is always got a plan. Now, we run out of energy in our endeavors, especially when we take our own routes. You're going to have setbacks in life. You're going to have financial setbacks, health setbacks. You're going to have them. You're going to have job and career setbacks. You're going to have personal setbacks. You're going to have spiritual setbacks. What happens with a setback in life is that it empties your emotional tank. And when your emotional tank is empty, you don't have the ability to move yourself from A to B in the good things of life. And you'll find yourself frustrating yourself and hard on yourself because usually perfectionism is helping you along to do that. Now let me just do a little diagnostic with you as we go through this particular subject of when rebooting your emotionally empty tank. Let's talk about what an emotionally empty tank looks like. Signs of an emotionally empty tank. Let's start with this. Fear increases. It never decreases when your emotional tank is strong. 
Oh, I'm sorry, it'll always decrease when your emotional tank is strong. But when it's not there, fear is going to find a bigger grip. It's going to take a larger swipe out of your life. It's going to control more thoughts than it normally would think. Now, we want to draw this off of a great story in the Old Testament. The story goes like this. Elijah, you know the name, I'm sure, a great prophet. In fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets that appeared to Jesus. He revealed himself to three of his disciples and the glory of God shone in that mountain. And they saw something that nobody else has seen. Elijah was a guy that got to a place where his actual emotional tank emptied out so far, he was completely done. This was not a weak man. This was a very strong man, very capable man, very gifted man. He had age and experience. He had everything going for him. You'd think that he's got all the tools to handle anything that comes in life. The moment you begin to, to think that you have all the tools to handle everything in life is the moment you're not handling everything in life. In Elijah's case, there's this big issue in the land. The whole land of Israel had now gone to worship a false god called Baals, or the Baals, because it would be a conglomerate of some gods. It was such a horrendous type of a idol worship uh, religion that they would even be required to sacrifice children on an altar. Like this is some of the most gross junk you can think of. Or maybe we have to pause and think about our children or our culture. In this worship of Baal, they would, it would, they would decimate their families to get the approval of God. And so Elijah had had enough of it. They'd already been through a famine that God had commanded and Elijah brought it to the king and they wouldn't change, they wouldn't change. So Elijah said, one more big rodeo to go. And so he said, uh, let's, let's do a challenge. Let's find out whose God really is God. Meet me on Mount Carmel. You prophets of Baal, bring all, bring all of your power of your God with you and let's see which God will answer with fire to a sacrifice that we build. They get there. He says, you guys go first. 400 of them are now crying out to their God Baal to answer by fire and consume the sacrifice that they had put out. And they're dancing around and it gets that nothing, of course, nothing's happening. And then it gets to a point after hours and hours that they start cutting themselves with knives. Yelling louder. Nothing's happening. Elijah said, okay, you've had your shot. My turn. So what he does is, he says, let me build an altar. They build the altar out of stone. And then they gather the wood. He's not done yet. He digs a trench. They get a trench dug around the entire altar. They bring up all kinds of water. They dump it over top because the thing is, it's by fire that this is going to prove. And then Elijah doesn't do an hour-long prayer. He does like a sentence. And all of a sudden, fire comes. It consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the stones. It consumes the water, not a drop of water. It's all consumed. Immediately, the people that had gathered for that to watch this escapade that day 
began to acknowledge the one true God, they immediately started to do that. And they rose up and Elijah uh, commanded them, you go and take out these prophets of Baal. These are the ones killing your kids. So they did. King Ahab was there. King Ahab was married to a lady by the name of Jezebel, Queen Jezebel. She's the one that actually brought in the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth into Israel in that day. Ashtoreth, more of a sexual god. Baal, more of a power god. Boy, don't those things run together sometimes, eh? And when she heard about it, because she stayed back, when she heard that Elijah had had all of the prophets killed, here is a bit of the story. 1 Kings 19, 1-5. King Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how Elijah had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me terribly if by this time tomorrow I don't kill you just as you killed those prophets. When Elijah heard this, listen to this great man of God, he was afraid, he ran for his life, taking a servant with him. When they came to Beersheba in Judah, Elijah left his servant there. Then Elijah walked for a whole day into the desert. He sat down under a bush and he asked to die. I have had enough, Lord, he prayed. Let me die. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and slept. Suddenly an angel came to him and touched him and said, get up and eat. It's a really an amazing portion of scripture because we have 10 things that get revealed in here. We read just one more scripture on that, and that's verse 10. He answered, Lord God, all-powerful, I have always served you as well as I could, but the people of Israel have broken their agreement with you, destroyed your altars, and killed your prophets with swords. I am the only prophet left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So he hits the lowest point of his life. For years, he has been involved in trying to overthrow this horrendous worship that was destroying their families. And now he stands at a place where it wasn't working. It didn't seem he, he, that if they won't respond to that, then there's no change. So my life, it's completely wasted. He's at the end of his rope, so to speak. And his fear goes through the roof. Fear is a really good indicator in your life of the measure of your emotional tank. Because when you have a strong emotional tank, fear doesn't get the same grip on your life. And when fear starts to grip you, which you may be looking for that, this is one of the signs, it's really hard for you to continue on the track of what you need to. It's really hard to take the next steps in good journeys. Elijah was afraid. A second thing, second sign, is we run from the good fights in life. You see, you're in some good fights. Life's a fight. You're in some good fights for people you care for, for values you hold. You're in good fight. You're fighting for a lot of the right things. But we start to run when we have an emotionally empty tank from the good fights in life. It says Elijah ran for his life. He is now not focused on the lives of 
the victims in his nation. He's not focused anymore on their pain or their peril. Now his focus has shifted to running for his life. He is in a survival mindset. He has moved into a protection, gotta get security at all costs mindset. He ran for his life. Measure these symptoms. Measure these signs. We start also backing out of relationships. Relationships take a lot of emotional energy. They give a lot. And they'll always, that's the, that's the idea, is you're always going to get given more as, as you build in a love with other people. But you need to have this kind of constant movement that costs you. And we start backing out of that process. It says he left his servant there in this town of Beersheba. More or less, there are times when you are leaving behind people and you, you start moving and distancing yourself from people, especially those that are maybe challenging you or ones that require more from you and you find yourself retreating and backing up because you don't want to take any more hits and you don't want that emotional tank uh, to be exposed, how empty it really is and you can't keep it up anymore. And the words that you say in relationships start to empty out of the meaning and the depth. We start backing out of relationships. We also make impulsive decisions. Elijah walked for a whole day into the desert. How many know that that might not be a really wise thing to do? We find out later he really didn't take water with him. He was unprepared for this journey. He was not ready for this walk into the desert. You're going to walk into deserts almost on purpose simply because I'm moving away from relationships. I am running from the good fights and my fear is high. And so you're going to make impulsive decisions that are more protective, you think, but they expose you to in ways that you might not see. Elijah walked for a whole day into the desert, impulsive decisions. Uh, my tank's emotionally empty. Uh, you make the craziest buy decisions or the craziest sell decisions or the craziest life-changing decisions, like big decisions when you shouldn't be making big decisions at that moment. Our physical limits are ignored. He collapsed under some shade. After walking a full day, his physical body came to the point where it just kind of, wow. This is a guy that just, within the last two days, has already just run faster than a chariot in mud. He beat the chariot. And now he's completely physically exhausted. It's spent. He's got nothing left. And he collapses under the shade of this tree. Have you been there? Where physically it's gotten to such a point that it's, it's like your, your body's got no more left to give. You're tired. You're worn out. My work begins to seem pointless. I've worked hard. He, he's really saying I haven't seen any results or change. Things just say the same. In fact, they're worse. It's, and I'm tired of the same game. My work seems pointless, lacking meaning. 
What is the point of all the effort? What is the point of all the expenditure? What is the point of hanging in there and fighting? What is the point? And then we also complain. I complain that I want to give up and quit. God, I have had enough. I mean, I've just had enough. I, I just want to give up. I just want to quit. I just want shade tree. I don't want anybody around. I want to be away. I'll, be, I'll walk into the desert if that's what it's going to take. I'll put, I'll put my life at peril, no problem, as long as I can somehow find a place where nothing's going to be required of me. Because I don't want to give anymore, and I don't have a whole lot more to give, and I, I can't let that last little drop out of the canteen. Of course, I know none of you are relating to this out there. Then he goes and he says, I feel isolated and attacked. I'm the only one left, and they are trying to kill me too. He's like, he's, like he's saying, God, do you actually realize what's going on here? Like I'm isolated and I'm being attacked. I got nobody to lean on, nobody to really trust. I got no partners, God. I got, I got, I got nobody close to really understand what I'm going through and who I am and what my challenge is. And, and, and I, can't, I can't seem to find the kind of support that I need, the encouragement that I need, the ears that I need, some wisdom that I need. I just, it's not there. I'm alone. And then we go to, I compare myself to others and I feel bad about me. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. How do you measure up in your family? Do you find that maybe you think like, you know, you, you do the measurement, you, you come up on the short end of the stick on it. I mean, in the extended family or in your work family. I mean, when you start comparing yourself to others, you're always going to end up in a position that is going to really drain you of really good energy. Comparison of, uh, to others is guaranteed to destroy what good energy you would have in your life to go after the good things of life. You can't compare yourself with others because you are not the others. You are you. You're created, designed exactly how God wants you to be. I think death might bring relief. Wow. Now this is, this is, this is something that's a little uncomfortable to talk about in church, isn't it? But Elijah said, take my life, Lord. Just let me die. Boy, it can get low. If, you, if you're having those kinds of thoughts, I want to tell you right now, don't you dare. Because what you got is something precious. And though you're in a very, very low spot, we care. There's help. James 5.17 says this. Elijah was a person just like 
us. That's quite an amazing statement. Here we've got Elijah, he's being identified. Hey guys, he had the same weaknesses, same temptations, same challenges. Uh, he had the same wrestle with fear. He had the same wrestles that you have. He has, he has the wrestles with the comparison model. He has the wrestles, wrestles with perfectionism. He's got all of those wrestles also. He's just like you. He's just like us. So what do you do? When, they, when, when you can look at those 10 and, and you might be hitting hard on three and softer on the rest... But you know that you're hitting enough of those. That your emotional tank is not where it needs to be and where, where you, you have to bring it up to. You're going to have to pay attention. The worst thing you can do is to think it will get better just on its own because it will not get better just on its own. If that worked, then Elijah could just go to the desert and be on his own. But that isn't what God used. It's an interesting thing. Because we are introduced for, to the first principle of God's recipe for refilling your emotional tank here. When God, God makes me rest my body. I mean, you guys know Psalm 23. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He maketh me lie down. He's designed you to lie down. He's designed you for rest. He's designed you to have Sabbath. And look at what happens in Elijah's story. So this is when he's under the broom tree. He's just kind of let it all out with God. And then he lays down. It says in verse 5, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat, exclamation mark. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. See, Elijah had a... Like, like almost got to put a, a GPS thing point into his, in, into his life of going to Mount Sinai. That was going to be a 40-day journey. And I don't know why God had this designed in, into him to have to take a 40-day journey into the desert because it was all desert travel. So I don't know why God put it in there necessarily, but it's interesting to think about it because for 40 days, he's going to be walking in a desert and he's going to have to stop at all the water holes and all of that. And God does not actually have any great conversations with Elijah as we go along. For 40 days, he's got a journey. God gives him the physical strength. He restores him enough and says, now, do your journey. You know, sometimes God just lets us walk with us. Has he ever just let you walk with you and even when you don't like you? And he just lets you walk with you a while. It's okay. God's there. 
He got a plan, but sometimes we have to walk with ourselves to get clarity on us and get our hearts positioned so that God can speak into our hearts things that are fundamentally going to change the way that we do life. And you might be feeling like you're walking alone in life right now through deserts. And I will say to you, God's got a GPS and he wants to bring you a pin in you. He wants to bring you to a point to a point where he can actually get your heart ready to receive what he needs to speak into your life. So Elijah does his 40-day journey. I can't imagine what that would be like, but he did it. God pays attention to our physical. God wants you to look after your body. God wants you to quit breaking the rules of what the physical body requires. You don't have to become some extremist. There's too many of those today. But there's also far more of those that have no respect for what God has given them. The body God gave you, he wants you to respect it. He wants you to look after it because it's important to his entire journey for you. So restoring the emotional tank begins with just two basics. Well, three. Sleep, right? How many here are great sleepers? You can sleep for like for, if nobody woke you up, you could sleep 12 hours. I'm looking, I'm seeing some hands, seeing some hands. Good, 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 good. How many here would say, I'm a horrible sleeper? You win. When you've had a good night's sleep, how do you feel the next day? Well, if you haven't had one in a while, you probably feel a little groggy. But you feel different. And when you get some days of rest and sleep and you start, you know, getting back into life, do you notice how the brain and the emotions are much more functional? You're not as reactive. You know, when my wife gets out of sorts and is nagging at me all the time, Oh, there you are, okay. (laughs) Which happened once. Not really, I just thought it happened, but she said it didn't. When it gets, when we haven't had that kind of physical tending, your emotional tank takes a hit immediately. Just miss one night of sleep and see what happens. You say, I can do that, no problem. I can miss one night of sleep, that's easy. Eat. Eat. You want to eat well. We know that there's better ways to eat than other ways to eat, but I'm going to tell you that you're probably going to, you know, have a mix of different forms of eating, but the most important thing is that you do eat. And then as you start to recognize there are foods that make you feel better and there's foods that don't make you feel so good, you start to make better choices. So you learn how to eat. You say, I've learned how to eat. I can eat anything. Don't eat anything. And then, and then another thing was he gave them water. There was water there to drink. How many there have ever been in the position where water tasted better than anything else that you could ever drink? You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're really thirsty and you try a sugary drink, 
It's like, oh, this is not it, you know? It just doesn't cut. It doesn't, it doesn't do that kind of hydration that I need. Even like there's times, oh, Gatorade or water, oh, water, give me water. They gave him water. He, he drank water. Simple, basics. It's not like it has to be elaborate. It's available to you. It's available to all. Why am I paying attention to this? Because the body needs to be strong for the emotions and the mind's function. And we're talking about emotional drainage. Secondly, God encourages me to release my frustrations. Frustrations are an interesting word. Um, how many here have lived one day without some form of frustration? Just, just one day. Just, just one day. Anybody go through one day? Not a whole lot. Okay. In fact, I don't know if I saw one. Because frustration is sort of like the regular diet of life. As long as there are people around or anything around, uh, we get frustrated. Frustration is something where we don't like the environment. We don't like the thing that we're in. We don't like the conversation. We don't like that person's thing. We don't like this part of life. We don't, and we're wrestling with it. We're wrestling with it to be in control. One of the great mantras of life that you should learn is control the controllable. And do not control the uncontrollable. Can't do it. In fact, as you mature in life and get older, frankly, you recognize you cannot control a whole lot of things. But that's not where you want to focus. That's where frustration is going to find its life and get strengthened. Where you want to do is focus on what can I control here right now? What can I control? See, Releasing my frustrations, God is also encouraging this process. And, he, and he's, he's frustrated to the nines, Elijah. He has been at this for years. He's seen God prove himself to these people and this king and this queen over and over again. And still, they have not come to a point where they will acknowledge what is right and what is true and take this yoke of that religion off of the people. You need to release your frustrations. Because it's in the release that you're actually acknowledging, when you release them to God, you're actually acknowledging that God is in control. Why you need to release, if you keep holding all the frustrations in, even in a relationship, have you ever noticed in relationships that there are times when the other person, let's say marriage, let's talk marriage for a second, I'll talk about it very carefully. There are times when there's some trait that other person has that it didn't bother you before much. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, nobody's brave today. Okay. There's that one trait or some traits you just didn't, you know, didn't almost notice. And then as the relationship goes on, all of a sudden that trait starts to kind of grate on you. And then it's, you, you harbor the frustration with it. You hold it. It's like I'm frustrated with this person. They always say no to start. They always are going to correct me. They always 
Well, they don't always, but it feels like they always. And that tells you that you are frustrated and you need to acknowledge that and you need to release it. Otherwise, it will become a huge weight upon the joy of your relationship. It says in verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. That's where Moses received the law. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now that's an interesting question because <clears throat> the question, he's not, he's not pulling him apart. He's just saying to Elijah, you have had power over every choice that brought you to this mountain today. So why are you here? What are you doing here? Have you ever asked yourself, that's a good question to ask yourself, what am I doing here? What is this relationship doing here? What are we, what are we here for? What is at the core? What is at the root? Rather than deny it or, or, or just kind of like, completely put it out of the zone. I mean, the, the fact is, is that there are times that you have to just say, what am I doing here? And God is saying to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God is glad he is there. But his heart had to be prepared by a 40-day journey so that God could speak through a fear that had found root in him, so that God could deal with a heart that was overcome with all of these different symptoms that we've been talking of? What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, here's what God wanted him to do. Tell me. Tell me the story. Just tell me the story. God, I've seen you use me to uh, bring the message to Israel and every time they have not responded. I am tired of this. I'm exhausted by this process without any kind of fruit or change. I have worked hard. I have put the best stuff in. I have given everything that I got, Lord, but nothing is happening and nothing is changing. And I'm frustrated to the nines I'm done with this whole deal. Give me the exit. Give me the, the way out. Show me the door. Somehow end this parade. It was very important for Elijah to speak that. It was very important for him to tell God how he felt. And he did it's a not an easy thing because that is when the emotions are so bankrupt in strength that all you got left is the total reactive emotions. All you got left is those emotions that have so billowed up and stolen from you that that did nothing to you. They've only been stealing from you. That's what bitterness does. Thirdly, in this recipe, First, God makes me rest my body. God encouraged me, secondly, to release my frustrations. And God tells me to remember and refocus on him. Don't block out familiar words. Let's talk about this. 
The Lord said in verse 11 to Elijah, go stand in front of me on the mountain and I will pass by you. Then a very strong wind blew until it caused the mountains to fall apart and large rocks to break in front of the Lord. Okay, that is not a normal wind, not even a Grand Prairie wind, okay? This is beyond any wind you've been in or experienced. This is a wind that breaks rocks. This is a a wind that splits the weak part of the rock. You can imagine what was transpiring. This very strong wind blew until it caused the mountains to fall apart and large rocks to break in front of the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. What does that phrase mean? But the Lord was not in. Does that mean that God was absent from the situation or the wind had nothing to do with God? No, it means that the voice of God was not in that wind. The wind wasn't going to bring him what he needed, but it was a demonstration of who he was dealing with. So this wind hits, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Hey, we had one here. Did you guys, who felt the earthquake, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago or whatever? Did you? We did too. That's pretty cool. Well, kind of. House still stood. That was a good sign. But we could feel it. And at first I thought, wow, that spin cycle on the washer. (laughs) The earthquake hits. And this earthquake is not just a little 4.5 or 5.5 or whatever we just had. I don't recall. And uh, with it. And, uh, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. His voice wasn't in the earthquake. There was no message in it for Elijah specifically to what he needed other than to say this is who you're dealing with. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a quiet, gentle sound. When Elijah heard it, there's key words. He couldn't have heard it 40 days before. There was no room for that gentle voice. His radar and his heart could not have picked it up. It wouldn't have happened. There are times when the gentle voice of God, your heart has to be prepared to hear that. You cannot just grab it out of your battles of life. But it is there. When Elijah heard it, he covered his face and with his coat and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And then a voice said to him, Elijah, exclamation mark, why are you here? Wow. He answered, Lord God, all powerful. Good response after, you know, like a wind, an earthquake, and a fire, right? So, good response, Lord God, all-powerful. I have always served you as well as I could. The problem in my life is not me. But the people of Israel have broken their agreement with you. It's them. Destroyed your altars and killed your prophets with swords. I am the only prophet left, and now they are trying to kill me too. 
Now, I want to add a little bit because Elijah was really short-winded. I could have gone on and on and on. He just was in a state where it was time to refocus and remember. Look at this scripture from Lamentations 19, 24. There's five things in here that you need to remember and refocus upon. No matter what your circumstance, no matter how drained your tank is, no matter where you're at with that emotional gauge, these are the five things that you must remember about God and you must refocus on about God. Refocus it. Refocus first on his steadfast love. Look at it. Oh, remember the bitterness and sufferings you have dealt to me, for I can never forget these awful years. Always my soul will live in utter shame. Yet there is one ray of hope. His compassion never ends. That's love. It is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destructions. Unfailing mercy, steadfast love. Two things right there. Great is thy faithfulness. Great faithfulness. His loving kindness begins afresh every day. Always kind, every day. Every day, God is always kind. My soul claims the Lord as my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. Real hope. Five things. Steadfast love, unfailing mercy, great faithfulness. He's always kind. Real hope. That is what you need to remember and refocus on. 1 Kings 19, 15 to 17 says, the Lord said, Elijah, you can go back to the desert near Damascus. Basically he said, go back the way you came. Remember, he said, what are you doing here? Now he's saying, you go back the way you came. And uh, when you get there, appoint Haziel to be king of Syria. Okay, that is order number one. He said, do this. Appoint Haziel to be king of Syria. Then, then appoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. There's assignment number two. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, to take your place as my prophet. He says, Elijah, we're breaking your isolation. See, Elijah, it was never going to be just you that got all this done. I got three other guys that you got to pull into this fight. Elijah, this is a team effort now. You've brought it as far as you can bring it, and you've emptied yourself to such a degree that you should know you are not the one to just carry this right now. You need others. So he reaches to different authorities, says, you anoint this one king of Syria, this one king of Israel, and then you anoint the prophet that's going to follow you, and you anoint them, and those three are going to look after all of the enemies. And they did. It all wound up that the battles got fought. Worship was restored in the one true God. Israel became a place where these kings did the work that God wanted them to do. It says in that last verse, Haziel will start killing the people who worship Baal. Jehu will kill those who escape from Haziel. And Elijah will kill those who escape from Jehu. 
Elijah, we're almost there. But we've got to have some sword people in here. It's a team effort, buddy. It's a team effort. Pick it up. What God will do when we hit our lowest is that he wants to break isolation. I can tell you right now that if your tank is low and it's been too low and too long and it still continues to bleed out, the number one thing that's given you uh, an inability to respond is isolation. And that isolation needs to be broken in your life. Isolation is cutting yourself off from the reserves and from the energies that you need in life. Isolation always seems like the best thing to do because I can walk into the desert, find a bush, I can sit under it, and then kind of just see what kind of plays out. But I'm done. Look, if your life's going to be built on when you run out, you're going to build nothing but cycles of failure and falling short. In relationships, in your economics, you're going to find that in the, in the administration of your life, your gifts, your energies, your talents. You're going to find that cycle is just going to keep repeating itself because there's one thing that's keeping it from changing and that's your isolation. You have to be willing to break the isolation and that's why God allowed him to walk 40 days to a mountain into a cave and there in that place tell him Elijah you're going to do three things and we are completing the package and you're going to do these three deals and the team expands Lord of the Rings you know that movie anybody know that movie well what is the name the fellowship of the ring right so the idea there is that the team I can't break your isolation. We can send the best people to you and if you're going to choose isolation, they can't help you. But this year, this year, if you will begin to expand your, out of your isolation and start to reach out a little bit, first to God and then to some good, safe people around you that are there that you know are just good quality people with faith like you and you start to build a few of those relationships, I promise you that you've raised the bottom of your emotional tank immensely. How do you reboot an emotionally empty tank? Well, you can't do it yourself. You need God, and you will need others. If there's one thing that concerns me about our culture today, probably almost more than anything, it's the isolation. Because in isolation, this is where all the bad stuff happens. This is where anger builds and then horrible things happen. These are the places that an unchallenged life is allowed to fester. And then things that shouldn't be done get done. And, and things that don't need to be broken get broken. But if we break it, the isolation, pour out your frustrations to God. Carry out 
the bonding with others as God directs you. But move outside of the cave. Leave the cave. Go back where you were. Don't stay here. Go back the way you came. Because I meant you to be grouped. You can do this. I pray you will do this. And it will stop the worst things from growing and it will give an opportunity for real good stuff to build and grow. Let's stand together. That's the one thing over the years that I've tried to work on a lot. Because there were times, especially maybe in, in mid-years, I, I, it's hard for me to target like that, but that, that it would go, whoa, 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 whoa. And I realized that I didn't really have a whole lot of control of the whoa up here, but I had control of how low it would go. And I began to concentrate on raising the bottom. And as I raised the bottom, I found that it was through that binding with others that I began to find my emotional strength so that it wasn't, wow, I got an empty tank and I got these three very important things to do and I didn't need to be frustrated the way I was with life. I could just... Control what I can control. As you go into this year, perfectionism, deal with that first because you can't deal with this until you deal with that. Get out of that business. If you didn't get last week's message, listen to it. Today, break isolation to reboot the emotional tank. Break it with God and get honest and get honest about your feelings and what you're feeling in life and expose it to God and get your heart ready to hear from God because it's going to take a little. I hope your heart's gotten ready to hear from God because he's got something to whisper, 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 whisper. And it's going to go directly there. And then from that point on, Obey his recipe. Pull this one in, pull that one in, pull that one in, and you go out, and you go out, and you go out. And let's rebuild. Because this year could be amazing if you'll control what you can control. Fathers, we bow our heads. We just want to thank you that you know us so well. We want to thank you that, Lord, in this life, we are really never alone. You're always there, although we act like you're not there, and we act alone in so many times. And, Lord, it's really easy for us. We acknowledge it's super easy for us to just walk a day into the desert, have our favorite broom tree. It's just really easy to isolate and pull back. Lord, especially when our expectations are not met, and we thought it was going to turn out this way, and we have this huge disappointment, depressions and things. Oh, God. We ask you to forgive us for looking to the wrong things, which is starting with just ourself. And we ask you, Lord, 
to step into this cycle in our life and begin to give us the courage to download stuff to you and to have the kind of relationships, Lord, that we know are healthy and that we have opened our life up to and we are incorporating into life because that's setting the bottom of our emotional tank. It's bringing it up higher. Father, I pray that whatever it's going to take in each one of our hearts to move into that this year, your, vo your voice, your spirit will keep nudging us, bringing us along until this gets healthier. We thank you that you have brought us to this point. And we thank you for your spirit and the word. May they do their work. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You okay out there? Are you okay? Sometimes God gives me some very difficult things to say. I want to say them very straightly, but I don't want to I don't want to wound you. But would you take from God what you know he spoke from you today? Turn it into a work be in yourself. Okay? God bless you. Love you guys. Enjoy the day. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Thank you.